Who are you? Me? I know who I am. I'm a dude playing a dude disguised as another dude. What? You a dude that don't know what duty he is. Or are you a dude who has no idea what dude he is and claims to know what duty he is? What the fuck are you guys talking about? I playing other dudes. I know what dude I am. You're scared. I ain't scared. Scared of what? We're scared of who? Scared of who? Come on, guys. We really need to go. Scared of you. What's going on? The dudes are emerging. These rats, you know. Uh, not Sergeant Lincoln, Luther. We gotta roll out. Nor am I. Father of my life. Armstrong. The dude. So the title of this uh, sermon today is, Are You Playing the Dude? Are You Just Playing the Dude? Are you just a dude playing another dude? I look at, uh, what do I mean by that? Well, there are days when, you know, on, I, I check my Facebook, right? There's always these uh, notices on Facebook about what my friends are posting. And it's interesting because, um, you know, in real life, like in reality, when I meet them in person, they always talk about how they want to save money, they don't have enough money, or they're a little chubby on the, around the ring, around the rosy, or, you know, like, uh, or, you know, they need to lose weight, and, or they, they need to, like, uh, get fit, or they have goals in mind that, that they talk about. Then when I look at their Facebook page, I see, you know, Dinell Vancouver's on, right? And then I go, I don't think pork belly is a necessary, a good thing to contribute towards the, your goal of having no ring around the rosy. I think it actually contributes to a, a satellite starting to orbit around your belly, right? You know, that type of thing, right? Um, sorry, that was a joke that I stole from somebody else. But anyway, it's those type of things that you go, okay. And then also, uh, I see people, you know, uh, my friends, who complain about money, yet at the same time, they're on this Facebook saying, hey, look, I got a great sale on. I, got, I bought this. Canada Goose jacket for $1,000. It was like 30% off, and now it's $1,000. Yeah, like a, an old friend of mine said, you save money by spending it. How do you do that, right? So, you know, like, like they want to play that dude. They want to play that role of, you know, yeah, I want that goal. I am a, a person with a vision of what I want to be, or where I want to go, or what do I want to look like. Yeah, at the same time, their whole life, on Facebook, anyway, it doesn't show it. It seems like they're, they're just going reverse of what, they, uh, what they're trying to say to me. And then I don't know if they notice, but they are friends with me on Facebook. And I notice, like, do they not see what I'm reading? Okay. And then, you know, like, uh, even the, uh, you know, it's like just workouts, uh, regimens, uh, like, uh, they don't even go, right? And then it's just stuff like that. Anyway, so <laughs> I'm venting now. As you can see, so so is uh, real other things. Um, as some of you know, I'm also a mentor, uh, a career mentor for some uh, some people, and I meet with people for that. And you know, there's career goals as well. And I realize that a lot of times when I meet with uh, business professionals downtown, a lot of them now the trend is to get a life counselor, right? A life coach, or a consultant. Well, why do they do that? It's because they want some set pattern or set rules to live by in order to get there. 
So like, like saving money, there's rules of thumb, right? Rules of thumb is save. Don't spend so much. Rules of thumb for eating, for getting healthy, exercise. And don't eat out so much. Rules of thumb for getting a career or getting to a particular place. Well, Carmen, you just went to a CPA orientation. There's rules on that, on how to get your CPA. Agree? And then there's rules of uh, how to get to a certain place, a certain destination. So there's life coaches because everybody goes, yes, I want to be this person. So what are the rules to get there? Or even like a particular position, I want to get there. How, what are the rules to get there? We actually desire rules, rules of engagement. And so the question is, for this morning, Christianity is the same thing. Your, your life of salvation, your saved life, the life journey that we have all chosen to participate in called Disciples of Jesus, there are rules for that too. There is that destination. And what is that destination? We all have our promised land that we want to get to. That eternal flourishing life in God's presence, the ultimate goal. Yet there are rules of engagement to get there just like rules in your career, just like rules in this school if you're taking a course here. What do you have to get in your GPA to pass? Rules. What are the rules of engagement for studying? Study, <laughs> right? So just like, the, that's just like life, like all these things that what we've come to accept, why sometimes do we not accept rules that God gives us? And here's the question then. The question is, is the promised land then your goal? I.e. the eternal flourishing life in God's presence. If you're not following God's commands, you have to wonder if you're just like my friends on Facebook. Just a dude playing another dude, hoping that merely putting on the image, like coming here, just merely coming here on a Sunday, I just saying that you're a Christian and doing the rituals will get you to the promised land. Are we just like that? Or are we willing to follow God's commands? Because that's the question for chapter 10. That's where we are in chapter 10 in Deuteronomy. But before we begin, let's do some reading of where we've been. Now, first week, from chapters one to four, we concluded that without faith and trust in God, we will always be short-sighted and lose out on witnessing and living out the biggest life-fulfilling, blowing your mind adventure that God has in store for you and I. There isn't an adventure out there, folks, a big one for each of us as a Christian. God has something in store for all of us. We all have our promised land that we're about to enter. Yet God is asking us, are you willing to take it? Do you see that as your goal? Or do you want to be like the Israelites of old who says, no, too scary or too tough, let me go back to Egypt, and then they just died off in the desert for the, during that 40-year wandering, right? Do you want, is that our goal? Because I argue that without faith and trust in God, we will always continue to be short-sighted and lose sight of that ultimate goal. Now, in chapters five and seven, it says, uh, what we conclude is that we obey the commandments because that's who we are. People who have left our old selves, left our Egypt, left all the sin, addiction, bad habits, selfishness, and self-centeredness, pride, etc., and made the choice to live a covenant life because we want to experience God's promise, an eternal flourishing life that is free from the sin and in the presence of God. So we actually concluded with actually not a really big point, but a question again, because God is asking us, the question is, like Israel, do we want to leave our Egypt? Or do we still have a little bit of Egypt in some of us that we want to keep? Some selfish desire 
anger, discontent, judgment, grudge, bitterness. Because uh, after I met with some of you in our small group, there are some people that carry grudges and bitterness still. And sometimes I wonder if we want that to be left in us. Because true healing is true freedom. And true freedom is to let everything go into God's hands and open ourselves up to complete vulnerability for his spirit to work. And if we can't do that, have we really truly left our Egypt? Have we truly left? Because there ain't no promised land if we don't leave our Egypt, right? Next, in chapter eight, we concluded that about biting the hand of God. We bite the hand of God by turning our heart away from God and not towards God. God is our sustainer, our provider. Like he sustains everyone, regardless whether they're Christian or not. We notice that in right now, people flourish still for not being that. But there will be a day, God says, when you keep biting my hand, I will just turn away from you. And there will be a day for all of us. Yeah, we, we, we are sustained by him. We, uh, we're given the things that we are given by him. But there are many times that we fall short and turn away. And then we, I, we discuss that of what are some of those things that tempt us to fall away? Trials, but also abundance. When, we're, uh, when we experience abundance, we sometimes say what? That my power and strength of my hands have produced the wealth of me. Remember that passage in Deuteronomy? 8.17, my power and the strength of my hands have produced this wealth for me. So we say, it's all me. I did it all, God. I don't need you. That's how we bite his hand as well. So trials, but also abundance, can tempt us from inviting God's hand. All right. Let's begin. Let's, uh, if you have your Bibles, turn with me to Deuteronomy chapter 10, verse 12 to 13. Deuteronomy 10, 12. And I'll read it. And now, Israel, what does the Lord your God ask of you but to fear the Lord your God, to walk in obedience to him, to love him, to serve the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul, and to observe the Lord's commands and decrees that I am giving you today for your own good. If you could highlight or underline whatever you can do on your phone now these days, just don't damage your screen, your own good, right? Try to highlight that. God, through Moses, tells the Israelites the rules of the covenant life. Obey him with all, your, all their hearts and soul, to love him with all their heart and soul, and to serve him with all their heart and soul. We've heard this before, right? In chapter six, we heard this before, since it sounds similar to a covenant statement. But now God elaborates with some practical rules of engaging this covenant, right? Like a, like a wedding that I'm about to conduct with for Angel and Kiefer. Right? They choose a verse, but I'm supposed to give them some tidbits of practicality of how to live out that verse that they gave me. Yeah, watch out. Okay, so, so what was it again in chapter 6? It says, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. And so in chapter 10, he re so Moses, God through Moses says, okay, so folks, this is how you do it. Here's how the, the rules of engagement. But he doesn't didn't elaborate. He told the Israelites why they should obey him, love him, and serve him. Why they are to follow these commands. Typical of God, eh? He doesn't tell you a lot about the what. He tells you about the why. And it's because why? Well, what we underline, it is for our own good. Have, who has a, where does this, like, where have you seen this before? Where have you heard this before? I know what's good for you. Where have you seen this before in the Old Testament prior to Deuteronomy? 
your own good. God defines the good. God defines what is good. Okay, very good. Genesis, the creation story. Remember? So I, God created the heavens and the earth, and what did he say? It was good. God created the, the livestock and the animals. It was good. God created human beings, and he sees it as good. God created, and he saw it was good. It was God who determined what was good. But the problem was, was us, us humanity. We said, God, you don't know what's good for me. And so what happened? Satan goes, look at this beautiful apple or fruit. And then the Bible goes on to say, mankind saw that was good. You notice how it switched? Mankind, humanity saw that was good. Humanity decided, Lord, you don't know what's good for me. I know what's good for me, and this is good for me. So I'm going to take it. So instantly, in an instant, one verse, one little phrase, already started the fall. It's because when mankind decided that I know what's good, and Lord, you don't know what's good for me, I'm out. And so God says, he comes back and says, before the Israelites enter the promised land, the Eden, so to speak, he says, do this, for I know what's good for you. Do this, for I know what's good for you. This eternal, flourishing life with God is our goal, and hence we enter into this covenant life where there are rules that God has given us. Because why? Because God knows what's good for you. It's finally happening again, folks. No longer are we lost in this abyss anomaly of not knowing what's really good for us. No longer are pursuing this and that and this and that that just results in emptiness. Finally, God comes back to his people and say, I know what's good for you. Just follow this. No more stress. Deuteronomy, let's move on. Deuteronomy chapter 10, verse 14 to 15. To the Lord your God belong the heavens, even the highest heavens, the earth and everything in it. Yet the Lord set his affection on your ancestors and loved them. And he chose you, their descendants, above all the nations as it is today. You know, God didn't have to choose us he didn't have to go into the covenant and remain in the covenant with us, but he chose to. Why? It's because of his love for us. He made a promise, and thank God he keeps his promise. Even though we don't keep our promises, we know one thing for sure, that he keeps his promises. I still remember one time, uh, I think I mentioned this, there was a, a, a in my circle, in my, uh, when I go downtown and stuff like that, you know, I meet with business professionals, especially uh, big, uh, women who are like during our lunch exchanges. And they said, when a white woman at one time said, you know, like, oh, life is full of broken promises. I'm divorced twice already. You know, like, uh, where, where is a person that could really keep his promises anyway? And then I had to say something, God. And he goes, how? Because he died for you. He kept his promise. He said that he will never leave you or forsake you. He will never leave you abandoned. He will always love you, regardless of your consequences. But then who can pay off of it, pay off my consequences? Who can really do that? Jesus. And that's why God became Jesus. He kept his promise. So there's one man out there that still loves you regardless of what happened, and that's Jesus. Isn't that something that we should be thankful for? There's one consistent, unchanging, constant person that loves us regardless of what happens is God, not even our spouses. Not even anything, it's like, it's God. 
All right. So God chooses to love us with his heart, his mind, his soul, and his strength. All he wants us to do is to love him back the same. Let's move on. Deuteronomy chapter 10, verse 16 to 17. Circumcise your hearts then, therefore, and do not be stiff-necked any longer. For the Lord your God is God of gods and Lord of lords, the great God, mighty and awesome, who shows no partiality and accepts no bribes. So therefore, he says, therefore the key. So out of all that, you are a child of God. God has given his life to you. He keeps his promises. He knows what's good for you. He has this awesome adventure ready, waiting for you to take. Therefore. Get it? You see that happening? Therefore. Do not be stiff-necked any longer, for the Lord your God is God of gods. You guys follow that? The sentence here? All He listed all the good stuff. He listed all the stuff that who you are, where you're at, why you're here, and why he chose you. And then he says, therefore, follow these. Do not be stiff-necked, for God is awesome. And you know what? He just, because he shows no partiality and no one can bribe him, don't get bribed by someone else. So where have you seen this whole circumcise your hearts before in the New Testament? Pastor Brian, uh, not Pastor Brian, Brian uh, mentioned this during his uh, worship leading. Where have we seen this whole circumcision thing? Well, definitely Paul made some allusions to it. And one of the passages is in Romans 2. So if you have your Bibles again, and if you could bookmark, let's blast over to Romans 2, verse 27 to 29. He says this, the one who is not circumcised physically and yet obeys the law will condemn you who, even though you have written code and circumcision, are a lawbreaker. A person is not a Jew who is one only outwardly, nor is a circumcision merely outward and physical. No, a person is a Jew who is one inwardly, and circumcision is circumcision of the? Of the? Heart. Thank you. Okay, by the spirit, not by the written code. Such a person's praise is not from other people, but from God. All right. First of all, we now see this circumcision of the heart. This circumcision of the heart, Paul is identifying, is an identity marker for others to know that we are God's people. We cannot circumcise ourselves by our own strength and effort. No, Paul says this circumcision has to be done by the Holy Spirit. So you are here... Not because of your own strength. You are here not because you chose to on your own strength. God did it. The Holy Spirit moved you to be here, seated right here, listening to me, you know, listening to me, worshiping together to God. The Holy Spirit brought you here. And you have to go ask yourself, why? Understand? So the circumcision is the circumcision of the heart by the Holy Spirit. Paul uses the word Jew here as a metaphor for God's chosen people. And so what does God, he say? The Spirit has to circumcise your heart, and when you are, you will have the capacity to obey the laws for the Spirit enables you. We will get, so we will get to the laws he's referring to in a moment. But let's delve a little bit more into circumcision. There we go, here we go. Circumcision, all right? Technically, physically, circumcision is what? Lift the tip of the penis, right? Yeah, owie, massive owie, right? And so, if you were just a regular Jew, and you were just, you just came out, and I believe it's like six months in, or four months, four months into your infancy, right? They would start to take a little thing and lift the tip off your tip. <laughs> okay, really painful process, 
right? I've seen it before during my internship. It's not a good thing. But anyway, lift the tip, right? However, Paul says this. So he's very practical. Okay, Jews, who knows you're a Jew, though? Because you wear pants. You follow? Like, like you know, think about it. You're, you're circumcised, yes, okay? But you're, you're the only one that knows if you're circumcised or not. Who knows that you're a Jew? Because, okay, unless you're a free spirit and you wear no pants and underwear during through the whole day, right? No one will know that you're a Jew. Except what? How you live out your life. The rules that you follow. And we all know, and we will come to it in the Deuteronomy, the rules of engagement that the Jews had to follow in order to be known as set apart for God. Agree? So Paul is saying circumcision is actually not something really of value because no one will know, right? But the circumcision of the heart, they will know. Because the circumcision of the heart by the Holy Spirit enables you to obey the commands, and because you obey the commands, people know that you are mine. That's what God says. So that's what the circumcision of the heart means. It's because physical circumcision, just the whole playing the dude part, no one knows. It's only when it comes out in the form of your life, in the form of you obeying the commands that God has given us. Circumcision of the spirit. And Paul elaborates a little bit in Colossians 2. He says this, In him you were also circumcised with a circumcision not performed by human hands. Your whole self ruled by the flesh was put off when you were circumcised by the Christ. Having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through your faith in the working of God, who raised him from the dead, when you were dead in your sins and in the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made you alive with Christ. He forgave us all our sins, having canceled the charge of our legal indebtedness, which stood against us and condemned us. He has taken it away, nailing it to the cross, and having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. So what is the circumcision of the heart, you say? It's by the Spirit. But how? How does it play itself out? What is the visual representation of this invisible reality? Some people would say, it's your baptism. Follow? When you are baptized, you made the decision, but it's not because of you who made the decision alone. The Spirit enabled you to make the decision to choose God, to enter into this covenant, to be with Him, to choose the path that will lead you to this flourishing life of eternity with God. That you believe that your sins right now, sins of yesterday, today, and tomorrow, the things that you did bad, are forgiven are completely forgiven through the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. That's what it means to have a circumcision of the heart. It enables us to live a life, a covenant life, with God. So what is that life? That, what is these commands then that we've been talking about, that we've been alluding to, that God has been alluding to? Well, the commands are obey him, love him, and serve him with his all. The commands, the very commands that we can't do ourselves, only by the power of the Holy Spirit and by the circumcision of our heart. So how about the stiff neck part and where God tells the Israelites that he shows no favoritism? Well, Jesus referred to this when he addressed the Pharisees' stiff neckedness, i.e. pride. So he goes like this in Matthew 23, 23 to 26. He says, Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You give a tenth of your spices, mint, dill, and cumin, but you have neglected the more important matters of the law, justice, mercy, and faithfulness. Here's again, the law. But what is this law? Jesus says, justice, mercy, and faithfulness. You should have practiced the latter without neglecting the former. You blind guys, you strain out a gnat but swallow a camel. I have no idea what that means. Must be painful. 
Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You clean the outside of the cup and dish, but inside they are full of greed and self-indulgence. Blind Pharisee, first clean the inside of the cup and dish, and then outside also will be clean. Wow, Jesus was pretty blunt. Can't really get around this one, can we? Let's use our context here. Do we sometimes fall into the Pharisee formula as well? What's the formula of the Pharisees? The Pharisees thought that if they sang the right tune, right, sang the songs in tune, sounded pretty, prayed the long prayers, looked good in front of everyone, said the Christian-y things, you know, presented themselves with no B.O., you know, when they raise their hands, there's no B.O., that's pretty pleasant, raise their hands at the right time and say multiple amens loudly so that everyone can hear, right, that would gain God's favor and he would call them his child. Does that not sound familiar with something else in the Bible? Later on, it was actually two chapters after this. It's the rich young ruler. Remember him? He was actually taught by the Pharisees. Remember that? that he said, God, you're Jesus. I obeyed all the commands. Come on, right? Give me, give me, give me, give me. <laughs> right? I obeyed all the commands. I'm pretty straightforward. I'm upright. I'm, you know, I go to church every single Sunday. I serve a little bit. You know what? Give me. No. He says, no, unfortunately, God does not show any favoritism or bias to how much you do. It's all about your heart. God will favor them, and unfortunately, they taught others that his formula, that, that their formula works, right? It's like uh, the Pharisees, you know it was wrong, but you continue to keep the trend and teach the young ruler too. So God, you're telling the young ruler that, that God has favoritism. That's so wrong. No, God actually wants one thing from you guys. It's your heart. And your heart should show justice, mercy, and faithfulness. Instead, what's really in their heart was what? Selfishness and greed. They were so proud of their method, so proud of their show and accolades they received from the public because, hey, who doesn't want to look spiritual, right? So they forgot what truly matters most. Observe, serve, and love God with all their heart, mind, soul, and strength. They were so stiff-necked that when they met the love of God face-to-face, which was Jesus, the Pharisees, when they met God face-to-face, they became stiff-necked. They said, no, this can't be right. This is so wrong. They totally ignored. They, they were more focused on the Sabbath than rather healing people. Remember that? I wonder if we're doing the same thing sometimes. That, you know what, when uh, we enter into church and then we see somebody on the street, are we more inclined to say, no, I'm running late to go to church? Or would we stop for this uh, person and actually give money to them, help them? assist them are we or because that is how we just play the dude playing another dude is that we like to do all these things we want to do all these uh, like spiritual things but deep down inside our heart we still cannot fathom to show justice mercy and faithfulness so the question is in Deuteronomy 10 is actually an examination of our hearts now why does he say that if you not notice, uh, like in Deuteronomy, these folks, Israelites, are entering into the promised land. They're right at the doorstep. And I want to uh, use a little metaphor that was taught to me at Regent College. And you know, he's a businessman, so he knows what corporate language to use too. So think of it this way. Here's a foundation, right? But let's say this foundation you start off uh, to build a building was a little crooked. But no one notices. Sort of like the Leaning Tower of Pisa, right? No one noticed? Right? It's like a, it was a little crooked. No one notices. But until you start building and building and building, when would you probably notice it? And when it gets too big. And then he goes and says, now, what will happen to the building when it gets too big? 
it collapses. So right now, the Israelites, God is saying, look, you're starting off. Crucible Church, you guys are starting off. You're small. You haven't become a big mega megacity church, right? You're small. But you know why you're small? Because I want you to really evaluate your heart to start off right. Because once you get big, I would rather be, Crucible Church should be a blessing, not a monstrosity that's about to collapse hard. Because we've seen churches that collapse hard. Build on the right foundation, folks. Self-examine yourselves. Moral compasses. Whatever is not right with God. Grudges. Reconciliation. Things that need to be reconciled. Heart. Check your heart. Generosity, hospitality, faithfulness, mercy, justice, whatever. God has impressed in your heart that you need to identify and just give it to him and repent of it. Do it now. For he has been very gracious and patient with Crucible Church. Very gracious and patient with us. To wait on us. To say, you're not done yet, but you, you really need to figure out your heart. And make sure that you, we start off on the right foundation. A level one. A right relationship with him. Amen? All right, let's end off. So what are some ways, he said, God continues. Deuteronomy chapter 10, verse 18 to 19. He defends the cause of the fatherless and the widow and loves the foreigner residing among you, giving them food and clothing. And you are to love those who are foreigners, for you yourselves were foreigners in Egypt. I was convicted this uh, um, couple of weeks ago. I was at a TCC lunch exchange, and then uh, um, I said to, to some people, like, you know, uh, you know what's really cool about this Starbucks app? I said, like, uh, right, so whenever you see uh, in downtown, there's a lot of people asking for money or food, right? We all know that, right? So then I said, you know what's really cool with this app? You could actually order for that guy, and the guy could actually go to the Starbucks and, then, uh, and just change the name so that it calls out his name. So what I've been doing lately uh, is that I, I hardly carry any change anymore, right? Because everything's on a credit card or on my app. So what I do is that like, I go, oh, your name is... Okay, Bob or Bill. And then Bill is usually on the corner of West Georgia and I can't remember the other street, the cross street. But anyway, it's like a, he's always there at that Canada Line station right across. Yeah, never mind. Anyway, so then I like, and then fortunately there's a Starbucks right beside that London Drugs. I don't even know if you're never familiar with that. So then I order the coffee for him, right? I say, Bill, it's under your name, go get it, right? And like, uh, I just got you a coffee. So then I was sharing that with TCC Lunch Exchange. I said, you know what? God gives us many opportunities. To, to change our hearts, to just get that selfishness out of our hearts. Then one lady stood up. Now, she didn't stand up. She just said something. I got something to share. Speaking of Starbucks, she says, I have an Amazon Prime account. So I tried this. Because Amazon Prime guarantees delivery within one or two hours. Free delivery, as long as it's local. I go, oh, what did you do? Everybody's like listening. And then she goes, OK. So what I did, I usually work at uh, my laptop, doing my stuff at Starbucks because I don't have an office. I go, yeah. So I asked the guy, I go, I met a guy, and he, he goes, I go, I ask him, what's your name? What do you need? And the guy goes, I need socks, warm socks, because it's really cold. Okay. So then she goes back to the Starbucks, starts working, but then opens a laptop and goes, okay, Amazon Prime, she orders socks, writes a note on Amazon Prime to deliver, go, deliver to Bill on the corner of West Georgia and this, right? Like, and then click. And she goes, and then I go, what happened? Well, I wait for an hour in Starbucks looking at the, the intersection where that guy is because, you know, you could see it from the Starbucks. And lo and behold, the Amazon truck came. 
And, it, and then the delivery guy came out and yelled out, is there a bill on this corner? <laughs> right? Is there a bill on this corner? And then Bill goes, yeah, right here. Why? Here you go. And then, he, and then you should see his face. He opened it, and the socks were in there, and he got socks, and he was like, going, who did this? Right? And then she goes, did you tell him? Like, did you go? But no. But then she goes, but you're right. I'm not a Christian, but maybe God is giving us all these technology to be one. And I'm like, I was convicted, because socks is a lot more expensive than so uh, coffee. Right? But it's just that, folks. And then I got another story I shared it to Rosanna, and we'll, I'll, I'll, I'll touch a bit on the other one, but I, had, I find this really interesting. So I was convicted on that one, and I said, I gotta do more. So you see how it spreads? It just infectious, right? Yeah, I gotta do more. And then, so then there was a, I was riding on the expo line, and uh, coming back from downtown, heading home, and then uh, it's like, a, and then one of those guys, I met him so many times, He's, he has a mental disability, and he just sits there going, is there anyone, like he just comes in, he goes, anyone, going to, uh, you know, please, like, uh, be gracious or uh, generous. I, I have a mental disability. I can't work. And then his eyes are out cross-eyed and everything. And then, then no one gave him anything. And then <laughs> I told Rosanna, you know, you remember that? Because she goes, do you have your Starbucks gift card still, you know, you, that you got from your volunteering at Annabelle School? I go, not really. Why? What happened? So I told the story. So then I go, like, and then so I got nothing in my wallet. I got nothing. I got nobody. I go, dang. But then I got the Starbucks card. And I know how much is in there. It's $20. And I'm like looking at this card. Looking at him. Card. Him. Card. <laughs> right? And, and I'm like, <laughs> right? Think of how many points I could get out of this card. <laughs> right? And then, and then I'm like, going, okay. And then suddenly I convicted on me going, John, maybe I'm sure it's the Holy Spirit talking to me. I go, John, why are you so tight-fisted? Why are you so tight-fisted? You just witnessed yesterday a non-Christian giving socks using her Amazon Prime account. Why are you so tight-fisted with your $20 gift card? That you actually didn't expect to be given to anyway. You just did, you, they just gave it to you because of your lunch monitor, but you didn't expect it. But why are you so tight-fisted? There's a biblical example on that one, right? Remember that one? It's like, uh, I don't know if you know about that parable. And I'm like, yeah. So then I gave it to him. I go, and then I go, do you know? Uh, and then he goes, oh. I go, do you know how? Uh, he goes, how much is in there? I think it's $20. It's usually $20. And uh, by the way, uh, you have to scratch the back, <laughs> you know, because he didn't know how to use it. He goes, and then, like, you should have seen the guy's face. He was, like, hugging it, going, you know, just, and then everybody else in the train started to give. $20, $10, like $5, whatever they could get out of their wallets. People just started to give. And then I realized, then I said, you know what? God forgive me. Because I was tight-fisted. This measly $20. I didn't even deserve this card. I didn't expect this gift. It's sort of like our salvation, the parable of the sower and everything. You know those parables? Where you have given what you never sowed? How come you hid it in the ground? That's the parable here in play. That how come you're tight-fisted? Right, John? Just give. For you are faithful because you are grateful and give. And when we give, everybody else sees this light, sees the circumcision of our hearts. It's no longer hidden in our pants. It's the circumcision of our hearts, our obedience to him, justice, mercy, and faithfulness. And then I'm going to just leave it there because there are many other examples I'm sure you know. And I encourage you, for those who live in Richmond or in Delta, 
There are many, many people in need. And uh, the best way to do it, do it, qu do it quietly, don't let the left hand run over the right hand, but you know, do it generously with joy and gratitude. Because people will notice that we are Christians when we love everyone. Amen. Circumcision of the heart, folks. <laughs>